Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. When Michelle and I became plant-based, that was the first step we took into conscious living. And very soon after, we became hungry for more ways we can be impactful on our planet. If you walk around your house, you're probably going to notice that it is filled with plastic. Plastic that you might not even have been so aware of before. And if, like us, you really want to make a change and make sure that your footprint on this planet is as small and minimal as possible and really do good by our planet and be a responsible consumer, we want to help you guys out with that uh, along our own journeys too. That is why we are so excited to bring on someone that Michelle and I both admire so much. She has been so moving for us. She has helped us along our vegan journey and also with us being more conscious of the waste that we contribute to the planet. And today she's going to be talking about some simple ways that you can make changes in your own life. So I hope you enjoy this as much as we do. We really, 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 really love this episode. Welcome, Colleen Patrick-Goudreau. Hi, Colleen. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. I'm used to telling people that I'm grateful to them for being with me. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't listened to Colleen's show, she will talk about that later in the podcast. But uh, yeah, I am so, so honored that she is on our show because she has inspired me so much. Her cookbook, The Joy of Vegan Baking, is one of my favorite cookbooks ever. And I have spent, uh, I don't know, months of my life living at her home, learning about zero waste just through house sitting for her. And so I, I am just so inspired, and I know that our listeners will be inspired as well. Yeah, Colleen, it is it is a special moment to have you here because I know you've played a, a big role for both Tony and myself along our vegan journeys in general. Like, I think you were one of our, both of our first cookbooks um, like a decade ago. And so, yeah, it's really special to have you on here today. I love it. Well, you inspire me, and I'm so excited about everything you're doing. So it's an honor to be here with your audience and to be here talking about something that I feel really excited about and and something that I think excites people because there's, you know, I often talk about and people get overwhelmed, there's so much to do, but that's the good thing. There's so much to do. Like there are so many things we can do to make this world a better place. And how exciting is that? So I love talking about all the things we can do to, to manifest our values and things we care about. Yeah, that's one of the things I love is you just like lead by example in so many different ways. And um, yeah, so let, let's let's like re- rewind for anyone listening who may not be familiar with you and what you do. Can you tell us a little bit a little bit about that and how you kind of found your way to stepping on a journey of lower waste or zero waste living? Well, yes, I can tell you. Um, so all of this is a journey, right? I mean, that is, I think, the whole point. And it never stops until we die. I mean, like this is about doing the best we can. And so, I don't know, 25 some years ago, God, more than that, probably picked up a book uh, called Diet for Numerica, um, you know, realized what I was contributing to consuming meat, dairy, and eggs, started on the journey to not want to do that, stopped eating land animals, uh, eventually kept reading more, stopped eating um, 
you know, anything that came out of or off of an animal, quote unquote, became vegan. Uh, and then just the whole time on this journey, it's just been about being conscious, being mindful, wanting to do the best I can. And that's really the message um, that I convey about veganism period, is just that it's about doing the best we can. Don't do nothing because you can't do everything, do something, anything. And so I've been a vegan advocate, animal advocate for 20, uh, 25 years. And, uh, and, and that's my primary message. And so, yeah, so kind of, you know, being on this journey called life, uh, made improvements in other areas of my life, realized that I was contributing to, you know, waste and, just unnecessary consumption and harm because animals are affected by our waste stream. And we can talk about that. And so, you know, over the years, it's really funny because we can very easily rest on what we think is enough. And I, you know, I did pretty well. I, I talk about the fact that, you know, I composted, I, you know, we drove a Prius, we only have one car, we pretty much walk everywhere. But when we do drive, we have, you know, at least we have a Prius, you know, we have a, we have, we gray watered our house, meaning that all of the showers and bathroom sinks go to our gardens, irrigation, we can automatically water our gardens. You know, we're in California, which is a drought state uh, with our showers and, uh, and, and sink water. Um, we, we have a thousand gallons of rainwater tanks. We, you know, I, I brought canvas bags everywhere I went. I stopped, you know, plastic straws and plastic bottles a few years ago. And I thought I was doing pretty well. And I was like, all right, it's pretty good. Right. Not that I ever made a conscious decision to stop, but you just, you can rest on your laurels. And I don't know what it was. Something shifted and I decided I wanted to look more into what else I could be doing. And when I did, and it's the same thing that happens when you become vegan, it shifts your perception. And I just started looking through a completely different lens and realized, oh my God, there's so much more I can do. And so that's what started me on this, you know, very conscious journey to, you know, become zero waste. And we can talk about that term because again, it's not about perfection. Um, hey, and so, hey, Colleen, uh, yeah. before we yeah. jump into that part, would you mind uh, explaining what your life like w- was like before you became more conscious so that people have a little bit of context? Were you always so passionate? Was your family uh, raising you with these types of values or is this something that you found on your own? Uh, all these values, you mean just being conscious? Yeah, con- but just conscious a conscious exa- and, and being super compassionate toward animals and being conscious of, uh, your impact on the planet. No, my parent, no, <laughs> I did not get this from my family. Uh, I'd love to say that, that, that I did, but I didn't, they were just kind of standard, typical, uh, you know, middle-class people in New Jersey. And frankly, they had, uh, more things to worry about than than thinking about you know zero waste or animals and meat consumption etc um you know getting food on the table for us was their main priority and and they did it and they they did it they did it very well um my parents were not animal my father was kind of an animal person he has a big heart um is very sensitive to any kind of animal suffering so even though he cares very much he doesn't look because it's too he just it's too painful for him like for so many people and so he very much cares about animals but doesn't look at their suffering and so thus continues to you know participate in 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 the systems that cause them to suffer um 
But I was a typical kid who loved animals and my parents supported it in, in the way that most adults do. Um, and so I'm grateful for that, but it wasn't, I don't think atypical. I think it was a pretty typical situation. It wasn't, I wasn't being raised in a house that was, you know, full of animal lovers, if you will. But I was the kid who brought stray animals home. I was the kid who got very upset. I mean, I'm still someone who's very sensitive to it. I get very upset if I see suffering and I intervene immediately. That's just my inclination. And so they supported that, you know, as as far as they could. But uh, as far as like when I stopped eating animals, when I became vegetarian, they were not happy they felt it was an affront. It was an attack on them. They felt defensive. They tried to discourage it. And I was an adult. I mean, I was a young adult. I was 18 or 20 uh, when I stopped eating land animals, when I became vegetarian. And they had the typical reaction that I think most parents do, which is they feel that it's a comment on what they did or did not do as a parent. Uh, I, you know, I know that now I, I see that retrospectively, but when it was happening, it felt pretty bad. Um, but then, you know, over time, I mean, they kind of relax a little bit, I think again, as parents often do, uh, and eventually they were, they were supportive. I don't think they were that keen on it because they didn't, they made some changes themselves, but never really asked me a lot of questions. And plus, I eventually moved three thousand miles away, so it made it, <laughs> it was a little different. But they were they were supportive enough, but uh, and proud of the work that I did. But no, I, I wouldn't say that I grew up in a in a home that encouraged it. Yeah, that's that. I feel like a lot of us can relate to that feeling, like we're kind of alone in in these mission mission driven. I don't know components of our lives. Um. So okay, I understand. Um being compassionate to animals and there's a pretty direct correlation like obviously if we're eating animals that's causing them to die and be slaughtered and suffer so I can understand that but how did you get to the point where you became really aware of issues relating to low waste like how how did you get to understand like what issues exist that make it so important for us to cut down on our plastic use or to make to make these changes in our lives yeah. So, you know, I've always been interested in environmental issues. What, you know, I would say that if you were to um, ask me like where I could live the rest of my life, like would I want to be by the ocean? Would I want to be, you know, in a forest? Would I want to be in the desert? I am such a forest creature. Like I just love being in among trees. And, uh, and so I've always had an inclination to, you know, be someone who didn't litter. I, you know, I, a few years ago, just recognized the ridiculousness of plastic bottles in living, especially living in uh, a society and a country where we do have access to clean water. We're very lucky. Yes, there are definitely communities where there's, you know, there are issues and, uh, and certainly there's other questions about, you know, the, the system itself, fine, whatever. But for the most part, once you travel to countries that don't have access to clean water and you realize you really have no choice but to drink bottled water, when you go back home, you go, I can just drink water from my tap. Like there's no reason to have plastic bottles and it's you just see how quickly it piles up so like you know just kind of being mindful and realizing where i was contributing to unnecessary waste um same thing with um I mean, I, we composted uh, because our city happens to have a very robust compost system and we're very lucky and we're very happy for that but we also have our own compost bins and we can talk more about that but you still, I didn't, I still did not understand the ramifications of food waste 
until I started doing more research. So I think with all of this, it's, you know, I, I talk a lot about kind of the moment we all have an awakening, especially around animal issues, right? And and there really is something that comes into your life. It's a person or it's an animal or it's a piece of information or it's a video or a book or a podcast. Something triggers the desire to learn something more. Your eyes are open and you want to learn more. And so that that's what it was for me in all of these ways. You know, we live in a drought state. Okay, how can I reduce my consumption of water? Well, let me gray water my house. Let me get tanks so I can catch the rainwater, right? So you just ask, you know, what is it that I'm contributing to and what, what can I do? But we have to, you know, we do have to seek it out in a way because, there's so much information coming to us from so many different places that if we're only just scrolling through, you know, food blogs, we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna necessarily see. And we have to be open to reading about these things as well. We have to be proactive, you know, f- finding out what's going on in our world. Yeah, well, definitely, it's like a lot of the things that you mentioned before your sort of awakening that you were being active on in the environmental front, like driving a Prius. I these were things that in my head were associated with being green or being equal eco as well and things that uh, you know as a recent college graduate graduate living in an apartment with no saving very little savings like i knew i couldn't afford a car a car i lived in an apartment i wasn't about to be able to start a compost i like there were all of these these seems things that seemed like well these aren't accessible these aren't applicable to my life right now so maybe one day I'll be able to you know install solar panels if I really make it in life um but it seems like re- recently with this whole kind of just splash of the idea of minimalism and uh plastic consumption and just all of these resources uh, coming to our attention now I I started to look around my home and the things that I did have and did use and realized that it, there's very easy ways that we can be reducing our impact and um, just being more conscious consumers. Like our toothbrush, our, I mean, a lot of people focus on straws, but that's such a tiny little thing compared to, you know, the food that we're buying and the plastic wrap around that. And um, yeah, so can you talk a little bit about, about kind of the really getting simple. Like what are things in your everyday life that you were using that most people are using in their everyday life that you can tweak or change to really impact uh, your footprint on the planet? Yeah. Now I want to just back up though, because, because I think it's really important to frame this conversation in a definition of what it means to be let's just say zero waste, low waste, zero waste. But I want to, I want to impress upon everyone, the concept of zero waste, that first of all, we live in, so the whole idea, well, actually the whole idea goes back to the 1970s in Oakland, California, which is where I live, which is very exciting. Yes. (laughs) It's so cool. And I didn't know this until I was actually researching this, but basically um, there was a a chemist named Paul Palmer. uh, And back in the seventies, he actually coined the phrase zero waste because he was noticing all of this, um, this waste from the electronics industry and wanted to do something with all of this, uh, this basically was basically waste um, from the electronics industry. And he was a chemist. So he figured out a way to use 
that waste, um, you know, creating some other products, whatever he did. I mean, it was all kind of very technical. The point is we live in a system that is very much linear and not circular when it comes to the designing of products for our world. So for instance, a company who just designs things for discard, that's a linear system, right? But if you design something for reuse, like a glass bottle, then that's a zero, that's, that's a, a circular system. So the point is, we don't live in a circular system. We live in a system where, unfortunately, um, things are designed for discard. So in many ways, we're on the other end of it where we go, well, I'm going to do the best I can, but I, th- I didn't make this choice. Like, I didn't, you know, I can't find saline solution that's not in a plastic bottle. Well, that's not my fault. Like, I can't, right? So a lot of it has to do with us pushing the, the, the governments and, uh, and our policymakers and the manufacturers to implement policies and to make products that, uh, that don't design for discard. So I just, that has to be said, because that's why we can only do the best we can, right? But second of all, one of the things that I, that, that really clicked for me, and it was kind of reading some of Paul Palmer's uh, concepts about this, was that for me, and this is what I love about this, and for me, this is a definition that I can really wrap my brain around. When I made the commitment to be zero waste, it meant that I'm making the commitment to take full responsibility to whatever for whatever I take into my life. So whatever I buy, whatever I bring into my life, I'm going to take responsibility for that. So for instance, if you have, if you're eating a banana, and you have that banana peel, right? The banana peel protected the banana. Great. You're done with the banana. Now you have this banana peel. That banana peel is not waste until you throw it away and you make it someone else's responsibility. So that idea that I go, okay, I, I, I bought this banana. What am I going to do with this peel? And that to me is so empowering because I can go, well, I'm going to go find a compost bin or I'm going to compost myself or I'm going to bury it or, you know, right. Or I'm going to help my city create a compost system. I mean, the point being that like I, so it, it helps you not only make better decisions about what you do bring in your life, it makes you question what you need in your life in the first place. So this idea that we have to be mindful of being able to afford being minimalist. <laughs> Do you understand? It's kind of the other way around. It's that we actually are empowered to make the choice whether to be a consumer or not. And that was another thing that really shifted my thinking is that I stopped thinking of myself as a consumer and I started thinking of myself as an owner of goods, right? So if I'm an owner, I'm going to take responsibility for that thing. If I'm a consumer, I'm just going to take it, use it up until I can't use it anymore. And then I'm just going to discard it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I remember the first time you shared that, or maybe I heard it in one of your podcast episodes about living this way. And it, it very much resonated with me because we have this this tendency to just shut off our mind to the significance of the things that we buy. And just it's it's become such a routine habit over the decades to just take trash and throw it away. And if I'm hauling two bags of trash a week, out to my bin, I don't even think about that. I don't think about the significance. I don't think about the responsibility of, that I'm putting onto our planet, onto just outside of myself for all of these products that I purchased and I used and I didn't take responsibility for or really think of as having ownership of. Um, so yeah, that definitely has resonated with me. Yeah. And so it's that concept you see a lot 
you see kind of the language around like there is no away, right? It's like saying that like if I just get rid of this, someone else is going to take care of it. Well, there is no such thing. I'm just going to throw it away. There's no place called away. So, right. And even for recycling, right? Because I, I know a lot of people feel like, okay, I'm going to drink plastic bottles and then I'm recycling it and then it just gets used again. So it's like a, a no harm, no foul. But like if you really dig into recycling, you realize it doesn't work like that. Like plastic is not a for, forever reusable resource. Like every time you recycle it, if it's even able to be used, which a lot of times it's not, right? But if it's even able to, it becomes a lower and lower grade plastic and eventually has to end in the landfill. Yeah, can one of you ex- exactly explain right. a little bit more about that? Because I, for a long time, thought exactly that, which was I can buy my water from the like in from Costco and like 50 water bottles and drink it and then toss it into the recycling bin. And then the next time I get water from Costco, it'll probably be the same bottle because <laughs> it just recycles it into into another bottle. And so like, I, it sounds naive, but that was just my thinking. And I, I had never heard otherwise. So can you t- tell us, or t- yeah, tell us that the process of, of plastic, because... Most plastic you go in the recycling bin, but then what? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's it's one of those ways that I mean, the, the recycling, the entire recycling um, industry, uh, which is really the way to think of the recycling industry is an arm of the garbage industry. It really is. It, it really is the same thing. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that are legitimately recycled, and we can talk about what those things are, and that there isn't a place for it. The problem is that we've become so complacent because of recycling that we think everything that we consume or anything that says um, that has that little triangle on it, which is actually one of the brilliant schemes by the plastic industry. You just put a little triangle. That's enough for someone to look at and say, oh, that means it's going to be recycled because we want to believe we're doing the right thing. And the way people talk about, when you say you're vegan and people say, well, I don't eat a lot of meat, you know, that's the first thing they say. It's the same thing when you say, well, I'm doing zero waste, you know, whatever, whatever way you want to phrase that. And someone says, well, yeah, me too. I'm recycling. Can can you explain uh, a little bit more? Because I think maybe people think that right now. I know I did until very recently that if the little three arrows are there, that means it's recyclable. but that's really just indicating, like, depending on the number, many of those numbers with that symbol mean not recyclable, right? That's exactly right. right. So forget, just forget the little triangle completely. I mean, the truth is one in two is really all you need to know. They can't, as plastics, for plastic, and we're talking specifically about plastic. Right. So virtually most plastic is not recyclable. And when we talk about recyclable, it's only recyclable for a couple rounds. It doesn't get perpetually recycled before it's, because what happens is it starts losing the, the its quality. And so you can only recycle it so many times for the purpose of, say, a plastic bottle. What happens is um, it becomes what's called downcycling. And so eventually that plastic, the quality of the plastic is so poor that it can't be used for something like, you know, plastic water bottles for, for water bottles. And so it's, it gets kind of melted into and used in something like toys or plastic benches, you know, park benches. And then eventually that can't, nothing else can be done. It reaches the end of its cycle of its life cycle and it winds up in a landfill. So plastic, so that's one of the reasons. Now I, I'm going to say like, 
plastic has its place. Plastic transformed the medical industry, right? I mean, it enables us to have, you know, the kind of hygiene um, and sanitary products that are required for, you know, not passing germs on in a hospital, right? And et cetera. So, so it's not that all plastic is evil. <laughs> it's that where in our lives can we look at the thing that we're buying that's plastic and say, do I really need this? Or can I buy it in another form? Or do, can I, do I need it at all? Or can I buy it in another form? So let me right. just finish that up by saying, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I, th- I think it's really important people understand the concept of recycling fully because it, I think it means the difference between someone shifting to buying plastic and throwing it in the recycling bin and not. And so one other like kind of element to that that I think a lot of people don't recycle consider is even if it could be fully recycled every time, which as you mentioned, it can't, it takes a tremendous amount of resources to recycle. Like we're talking like transportation, being picked up a lot of times, like, uh, you know, for, to, to take a plastic and make it into something else is taking a lot of resources. Um, and so if we have the option of just not using that plastic bottle and not putting it in the recycling bin, you're just saving so much waste in many, oh, many ways. No, there's so much to say about plastic. I mean, besides the fact of, you know, of what it's like to discard it, it's what it's like to produce it. And of course, there's, you know, it's it's toxic to produce. It's um, very resource intensive. It's a petroleum product. It's an oil-based product. Um, so there are, so again, when we're talking about recycling plastic, let's talk about, um, uh, you know, single-use plastic. I think, you know, even though there's single-use plastic in the medical industry, for instance, let's talk about, you know, single-use plastic or, I mean, so many times you see someone, right? We just drink a bottle of one and then we throw that thing away. Like that, idea of this, this discard mentality is what's contributing to all of these resources being used to both create these things, but also to then discard them, as you said. But more than that, I mean, so the the business of garbage is a big business. It's a massive multi-billion dollar business. And so one of the things that we've been doing for a long time has been selling our waste specifically plastic waste, to China, um, to other countries, to low-income countries, to, to developing countries, where we basically say, take our junk, take our waste, and then people over in these countries are paid not even a living wage to sift through our garbage to find anything that could potentially be recycled. And they're not using sophisticated plants where someone's making sure that there aren't toxins coming out of these um, products. They're recycling them in very crude ways, melting them with, you know, literally open, open, open fire. So they're, they're inhaling these toxins. I mean, so what we do is basically pass off our garbage uh, to someone else. Now, China has recently said no more. They're not allowing it anymore. They're not taking our garbage anymore. So this is leaving municipalities and and manufacturers scrambling because it's going to mean that we're going to have all this waste to deal with, which we should take responsibility for our waste in the first place. But um, but more than that, it uh, it it means that we all have to now really look. I mean, can you imagine what our backyards would look like <laughs> if we had to take res- full responsibility? Oh my for God. Bye. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> Colleen, uh, as or I mentioned I. before we started recording, a lot of people are very new to conscious living and are maybe just hearing about 
this concept in this episode. Can you give some examples of how when you started adopting more zero-waste practices, where you started? And uh, let's start with the kitchen, because I think a lot of people are here for food reasons. Uh, Where did you start in the kitchen lowering your waste? So in the kitchen, the first place I started, and this is really, I think, really key, and it's really hard to hear, is with food. And not everybody has a city that has a compost system. I get that. But we do need to rethink the amount of food we waste, which starts with thinking about the amount of food we buy. So when you consider that of the food Americans purchase, 40% is thrown away in the home. That is That's painful. That is painful to hear. And I'm guilty of it. Tony used to come to my house because I was <laughs> so guilty of food waste. And like anytime I had produce, it would be like getting soggy. And then I'd be like, oh, I can't eat it. And Tony would come and rescue my food. Like she'd be at my house Aww. every week being like, we can use this, Michelle, or I'll take this yeah. home and use it as she a would soup. Want to toss, no, I'm better. you know, the uh, when carrots get a little bit flimsy. Yeah. She would want to toss them. I'd be like, nope, we could use this. Yeah. Let's she would rescue it. Up. And like one of the things that I thought was so humorous, but also brilliant that other people can apply is those who can't have a compost in their home or perhaps live in an apartment or in Sacramento, we don't have a compost system for residents. And so what Tony and Paul do is they (laughs) she's blushing. They save up their, okay, you can Well, I don't want to get Paul in trouble because I don't know that we're allowed to do. Okay. Well, what one could potentially do is save up (laughs) for your compost. And then if you go grocery shopping at like a natural food store or anywhere that has a compost bin, you bring that with you and you put it in their compost. <laughs> I love it so much. Isn't because, that brilliant? You know, it really is. It's totally brilliant. And and it's actually being really resourceful. So that's yeah. one example of if you don't have a city <laughs> compost system, which I know you don't, if you don't have a compost system yourself, which I, you know, there's lots people can do. People would be surprised at how much they can do in their own, even if it's a small apartment. Um, Then you can absolutely reach out to, like you said, co-ops and natural food stores, farms. I mean, there are a lot of farms who would take it to. There's even services now where people come and pick up your compost. Right. Because it's so valuable. Like it's so it's gold. Yeah. Yeah. It's gold. gold. Especially, especially from a plant-based household where your compost is oftentimes like fresh organic produce remains. Like (laughs) it's, it's gold. Yeah. I remember when I first moved into my house and I was getting a lot of things delivered here and I had all of these boxes coming to my doorstep, which in hindsight, like shop in stores, because those, there's so much waste involved with that. But my neighbor across the street grows a lot of her own vegetables in her backyard. And she came over and was like, left us a note, hey, are you going to be throwing away those paper boxes because I can use it for, I don't know, my compost or her garden or yep. whatever. And so we'd save all her our boxes that otherwise would have gone straight into the recycling and caused all sorts of more needed resources. And instead, we're able to give it to her to be used. And I never would have thought that thought about yeah. that before. Good on your neighbor for having the courage to go to the random yeah. new person in the neighborhood <laughs> and ask for their boxes because yeah. she was observant. But same thing with composting. Like, I'm sure there's tons of people in the neighborhood somewhere in your neighborhood, wherever you are, who are like, man, I wish I had some more fresh compost materials to add to my compost. If you live in Midtown, Sacramento, you can have all of my <laughs> compost. <laughs> And if you have a listserv, if you are in a neighborhood that has a listserv, like some kind of next door, ask someone on there. Say, I have a lot of produce, scraps, or people who have rabbits um, would take some of 
those scraps, like the tops of the carrots or, you know, the core of the lettuce or whatever, the kale. Um, so you are, you're tapping into, this is the kind of step you start doing. You think creatively about how you can solve the problem and take responsibility. So, and I just want to say one, one more thing is that, cause I know there's lots to talk about in terms of what people can do in their lives, but, but in terms of food waste, those are the things you can do, but in terms of not waste, not for your, for your food to not turn to waste in the first place is I talk a lot about food prep. I talk a lot about making sure that your refrigerators don't turn into compost bins. I talk a lot about, um, what to do with those things that seem like they're starting to get soft or to prevent it from going bad in the first place. And I, and I do have whole episodes at food for thought on, on all of this. Like we'll link those Colleen. Yeah, because it, that it's 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 so rich. Like understanding what the sell by dates mean on food. It doesn't mean because something is past the sell by date that it's automatically bad. That has that has nothing to do with whether it's bad or not. It has everything to do with when the manufacturer of that product deems it to be the most fresh. It's just another way to get people to throw out food to buy more of that product. So so it talks about sell dates. It talks about making sure your refrigerator is the right temperature so your vegetables don't go bad um, so quickly. So there's a lot to do to prevent food waste and to eat um, things to make the vegetable stock with all of your food scraps before they become compost. Um, You know, you know, zesting your lemons so you have beautiful lemon zest that you can throw in the freezer so that when you need lemon zest for a recipe, you have it. Lemon juice, same thing. If your lemons, if you're not going to use the lemons, squeeze them first and make lemon juice and then freeze that. So there's yeah. lots of creative ways to think about your food so to prevent it in the first place. So that yeah. was one of the things. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, we have so many citrus trees here in Sacramento. So, so, so many. And I see fruit all over the ground. And I think, oh my gosh, that person, even if they're picking some, they can pick them all and freeze their lemon juice and their orange juice. Or leave or, them on their neighbor's doorstep. And yeah. there are also really great programs like here in Sacramento, there's something called Harvest Sacramento where the food bank will come harvest your fruit to give it away to people who don't have access to fresh food. So it just, if you have trees that produce fruit, don't let them go to waste. Exactly. That's an, that's, a, that's another example of food loss. That's kind of on the on the other end of it, the f- front end of it, which is called food loss. And there are a lot of organizations. We, for instance, well, I think it's gone beyond the Bay Area. There's an organization called Imperfect Produce. So one of the things that happens on that front end in terms of food loss on farms is if they are selling to a store who doesn't want anything that's too large, too big, too funny looking, too off, whatever, the color's off, the size is off, the shape is off. Um, um, that gets that gets either left um, or just thrown into a landfill. And so there are companies and organizations who are going to these farms and saying, we'll take all of your imperfect produce and then they sell it to consumers or to as part of a community-supported agriculture program. So there are a lot of solutions that are happening you can get involved with and you can also do that in your own in your own home. But exactly whenever I see lemons. And oranges, I, I actually have been making a note to myself of some trees on our street that I need to knock on their door because it's the same kind of thing. Like you said, Michelle, it does take courage to knock on your door and say, hey, I noticed you've got some <laughs> lemons falling. Can I, I, can, can I take some of those? I can just imagine you like with a ladder on top of your car <laughs> and like a fruit picker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But on that, on that note, like in, in grocery stores, first of all, Imperfect Produce just came to Sacramento. I'm Yay. so excited. Yay. So they are growing and expanding quickly. But something 
thing I learned recently that I did not know about before is bananas in grocery stores. So they're usually in grocery stores, like in a in a set of like six attached together by the stem. Um, but grocery stores end up throwing away most of the single bananas, how someone will just like come and peel off the number that they want and leave the like lone bananas behind. And so now there's this whole movement to like, when you're at the grocery store, rescue this lone single bananas so they don't get wasted because they just, it's harder for the supermarkets to sell them. And so now every time I go to the grocery store and Dan even does this to my husband, (laughs) we'll like pick out all the individual bananas rather than getting a bunch of six clumped together. And I was really inspired to do that because I went to grocery outlet and I saw that they had bananas in a like plastic wrapped, like plastic wrapped the six of them. And I posted that picture on Facebook and a bunch of people were commenting, what the heck? Like bananas are made by nature to have their own peels. So we don't need these plastic things. And people from the farmer perspective were saying, well, they just don't get sold. People don't buy them once they've been separated. And so this is kind of needed in order to sell the products, to sell them all. And so I was just thinking like, man, yeah, there just needs to be more awareness about um, yeah, we don't always have to have the most perfect looking thing from the supermarket and we're helping prevent food waste by, if we know it's not going to be used for like a food photo shoot for the perfect apple, like get the wonky looking things. It's okay. <laughs> but back to- Oh, I love it. Back totally. to uh, totally. what people can do in their own kitchens. What are your other suggestions? Okay, I want to say one more thing about the bananas because it's brilliant. And I buy a ton of bananas and then I freeze them so that I can use them for smoothies later. So you can buy yes. excess things and and really use them. They're not going to go to waste. So yeah, we could talk the whole time just about food waste, but I will move on. So other things in the kitchen. Well, I am someone who advocates cooking, obviously. Uh, and obviously, but I am someone who advocates people spending a little more time than, say, five minutes in the kitchen. So really encouraging people to, to do some cooking. And one example of that is making your own plant-based milks. So I used to make almond milk. Very easy to do. You need a blender. You need some almonds and you need water. So really easy to do. Almonds are expensive. So I actually got a soy milk maker on eBay and it has, I hate, I hate that it changed my life, but it really did. Like I love making soy milk so much. It is so much less expensive than almond milk. I love that I don't have any packaging. Most of the aseptic boxes, those are the ones that are in the packaging where you can keep them on the shelf before you put them in the refrigerator, the vacuum sealed um, kinds of boxes. None of those are recyclable. And frankly, most of the regular plant-based milk cartons, and I love all these companies, I do, and I love that I'm not contributing to any any of that waste. So making your own milks, making your own nut butters, like what you're willing to do to make from scratch, ask yourself, what are you willing to do? Um, I think the stock is a great example because, you know, because everybody has onions and garlic and and carrot scraps and those kinds of things can just be boiled on the stove, you know, boiled all the way down or, you know, not boiled all the way down because you wouldn't have any left then, but, you know, boiled um, to make your own stock. So asking what you can do to make things from scratch yourself. And, and um, another thing yeah. that you, you post on Instagram and something that I love is uh, cooking in my pressure cooker. It really has changed the way I eat because I can have quinoa in five minutes and I go to the store in my reusable produce bag, fill, fill it up with quinoa and then come home and cook it very quickly in my 
pressure cooker. And same with um, your stock. You can do that very quickly. And so if you're poor, time poor, then like, like, like I am, I just say, I feel like I'm constantly looking for ways to save time uh, that having a pressure cooker makes my impact on the environment much less. Totally. And that is something that did change my life. It sounds dramatic, but it really did because for the same reasons. And, you know, and the bottom line is even if you have a pressure cooker or even if you don't, the bottom line is what you're talking about, Tony, is just thinking about what you want to have in advance. So even having a pressure cooker requires you to say, well, I want beans tonight. Yeah, I don't know, let's say in five minutes, but like a half hour tonight for dinner. It's all just a matter of kind of changing your mind saying, okay, what do I want to have for dinner tonight? What can I do to prepare for that now? And the pressure cooker just makes it so much easier and so much faster. Um, I still do advocate planning in advance. And again, you're demonstrating it just by saying, you know, if I get something at the farmer's market, I'm planning on making it. So what do I need to do to prepare that easily? But the pressure cooker makes it so much easier. Um, so doing, yeah, doing things that, that'll, that'll make your life easier and the stock can be made so quickly. Um, that was actually the beginning for me. The pressure cooker went kind of hand in hand with starting to reduce more waste because actually Michelle just said it. It was when I got the pressure cooker, um, it was when I decided to no longer buy canned beans that I started using the pressure cooker because I just said, you know, I just don't want to keep getting all these cans. Again, expensive and and waste, even though, let me just say this very quickly, glass and aluminum are 100% recyclable. Aluminum is recyclable and for eternity. Like it just keeps its value. It doesn't lose its quality as it's recycled again and again. So in terms of kind of making a choice between something that's in, you know, plastic, glass, or aluminum, aluminum is, you know, a good bet. Glass is a good bet. And so even though the cans and um, uh, from beans are recyclable, um, still, you can't guarantee that everything that goes into the recycling center is not going to wind up in a landfill. If you have something in your recycling bin that is considered landfill, it's considered, um, what's, the, what's the word? It's basically um, soiling that recycled batch and it goes into the landfill. So whatever I can do to reduce the chances that even something I buy you know, that is recyclable is going to go into a landfill... I didn't want to buy any more aluminum cans. So that can was you wait, wait, can you talk issue. about that for a minute? Because I think that is a huge point for people that recycle. Like I know a lot of people who recycle everything. They feel comfortable because they're recycling everything, but they can't be bothered to really. And I think that I, I'll say they, but uh, many of us, <laughs> we we all have been here. I'm sure at some point where we can't, we don't know all of the rules and regulations with recycling. Maybe we don't wash out our recycled goods very well, or like. At, at, Talk about that a little more, how your entire batch of recycling no longer is valid when you put something in there that's not recyclable. Well, yeah, you said it. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty much it. And so a lot of it has to do with, I mean, you should really know, you know, I mean, I know it sounds really dorky, but call your, your local waste management. Like I really kind of loved finding out what my city allows and what it doesn't allow. And so every municipality is different. But if you if you are putting things in that are not recyclable, things that aren't cleaned out, um, uh, things that have oil on them, like a, you know, like a cardboard box that a that pizza would come in is technically compostable. Um, and frankly, the whole thing can just go in the compost in a city's compost bin. But if you have oil on that cardboard, it's no longer recyclable. And most people will put 
it in the recycling bin. And so what happens at this at the plant, they don't have time. Some places sort and some places don't. They just look at that whole thing and they just say it's all it's all completely going right to the to the landfill. Hey, so my- even if you yeah, Sorry, you I think just, you're doing something on your end. You're, it's not necessarily happening. Yeah, I was going to say it reminds me of the saying: "When in doubt, throw it out." If you if you think, "Oh, this this has oil on it," I don't know. Uh, it's probably better to toss it than it is to throw it in there and risk other stuff right. being contaminated. I haven't heard that. That's that's actually that's actually kind of true. Um, that so is true. counterintuitive, so, but <laughs> I know, I know. Well, that's why it makes you go: Can I take responsibility for yeah. this thing? Am I willing yeah. to throw this to a landfill or not? And if I'm not, then maybe I don't need to buy it. So, so beans were actually my inspiration for the pressure cooker. And I haven't. I know it's not. It's not a contest, but I I haven't bought a can of beans in years. Like, and and more than that. So I said they were less expensive, and that's true. They taste better than any canned bean I've ever had in my life, <laughs> ever had in my life. So, so that's that's another way um, in the kitchen something you can do. And then you know you touched on it earlier, Tony. I think the, a, a real starting point for a lot of people, and it's totally valid, is you know plastic bags. I mean, we have not you know getting just some canvas bags. If you need any, I'm happy to send you some because I have. 300. Like we just have mm-hmm. so many canvas bags. And what I do now, because we have more than we need, I bring them to the grocery store with me. And if there's someone who's next to me who doesn't have a canvas bag and they are going to get a plastic bag, I will give them the canvas bag. That so is I have so excess sweet. bags. I know I love it because yeah. it just enables them to like not take the plastic bag. But And they're um, probably so-, so happy. They're probably like, oh my, like we get bags all the time at all the events that we go to and everything. Yeah. But someone's like, oh my God, a bag. <laughs> they are happy. I did yeah. once at a bar, I had an extra metal straw and the woman was like thrilled. And and I even had a cleaner, like a straw cleaner. Like So that, that kind of stuff is really inspiring. And it inspires other people when they see you doing it. So you having canvas bags, obviously for the grocery store, it's just a matter of getting into the habit, keep them at the front door or in your car. Like get, It's just a habit. Get into the habit of when you dumped all of your groceries from the canvas bags in your kitchen, take the empties, put them right by the front door where your keys are, and you just get into the habit. I am one of those people who if I for some reason forget or I'm just out and about and I need something, I will literally carry... I will suffer like not get a bag. I am one of those people who are like, no, I'm good. They're like, really? Because you don't look like you're very comfortable. You can't carry anymore. I'm good. I'm I've fine. started doing bag. that. It's like, I feel like I need to penalize myself when I forget bags or I'm never going to learn. And so recently That's I've right. been doing that. And I usually have like a backpack that I'll shove stuff in, but I will be the awkward person like having jangling cans filled up in my arms trying to make my way to the car and I like open the door and they just like start spilling out of my arms into the car and I'm like well next time I'm gonna remember that back I know exactly exactly it works it definitely incentivizes you I have oh sorry yeah canvas bags but also you would I know this was something that you did Tony recently talk about the um the bags for the the produce bags I mean that makes a a real big difference or, or the bags that you can use for bulk bins to fill up a grain and rice and beans in the in the in the reusable bags I hadn't shopped in from bulk bins until just a few years ago. It was kind of like, like that was kind of the the step in the door that made me just so much more conscious about everything that I bought. But getting just reusable mason jars that I can fill up with my grains and my beans and my lentils and my 
quinoa and all of the things that I that I cook with, and then having no plastic ever enter the situation because I'm going directly from the bulk bins into my canvas bags, into the mason jars, has been so rewarding. And now I open up my cabinets in my pantry, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> Colleen, something that Michelle and I talk about on the podcast and in on both of our brands in general is, and and something that you also talk about is imperfection. So we've spent a lot of time giving people many ways to get started on this journey. And you are the expert. You, it sounds like you've just lived your whole life and changed your whole life to be as conscious as possible. But are there any ways that you do sometimes um, you can't make it work? Of course. And, you know, I, I'll kind of draw the line. Someone said to me once, do you find it challenging? And I said, you know, I really treat it like a game. I enjoy it. And that means that I'm going to be imperfect. I mean, it's not about, it really isn't about brownie points. It's about doing the best we can. So there are a couple things. Well, I said that I can't find saline solution, for instance, in a non-plastic uh, bottle. But um, I have a couple hair products that I have not been able to replace in like a glass or uh, well, aluminum, obviously, bottle. And so for right now, I do get them. They are recyclable. They are in, you know, they're one digit. So I do know they can be, but like there, like, the, you know, there are things that I can't, that I can't, or I'm not willing to give up at this point that, um, that it's not, it's not about being perfect. But, you know, again, because there are so many things we can do, that's what's so exciting. Like there are so many ways in your own life that you can say, I'm not going to get plastic straws, not going to use plastic produce bags. I'm, you know, I'm going to start reducing my use of uh, single use plastic, like, you know, like water or like things that I don't need. I'm going to start considering what I do buy. Do I need this in my life? What can I get repaired as opposed to just throwing it out and replacing it? What can I donate? What can I buy at a Goodwill shop? I mean, there are so many ways that we can actually have an, have a positive impact that if you make your goal perfection, you're going to fail. But if you make your goal, you know, doing the best we can, then you can't but succeed. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is interesting is like, like with being vegan it, or stepping in, trying to eat more consciously, um, it's easy to do a lot to make a huge difference. And then it gets hard to do like the last like 2% or 5% mm-hmm. or 10%. And most of us are doing almost nothing. And so I'll see like stories of people who have uh uh, who strive to live zero waste and went like one year and fit all of the trash that they consumed for the whole year into a single mason jar. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, that sounds nearly impossible. But I look at that and thought how much effort must have gone into that. And I could probably reduce my waste in the easy ways for like one week and have made an impact like 10 times as much as like all the effort went in that they put in for like those last 2%. So if we mm-hmm. all just be more conscious about like the big ways that we're contributing. Like if we if we do, I think they call it a trash audit. Like you look at your trash, like look at the things that you're throwing away every day, every week and see where you could easily just make swaps in your life or scale back on what you're buying. Um, like if we all just made those bigger changes, we could make such a massive impact and it doesn't require all of us or a few of us striving for perfection. It's better for us all to take like these basic steps. I love that. And I think that's so important to, uh, like, but it does require, so here's the thing too. It's not 
going to change the world. Our like level of purity and perfection, it's not going to change. Like a few people trying to be perfect, it's not going to change the world. But a number of people doing something, but it's not just what we do as individuals. We really do have to change policy. And that means we have to get involved politically. And you know, you and I have talked about this a number of times. You know, it's something that I feel very strongly about getting involved with your city council. You know, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of, you know, making it so we can call them bans. But there's a lot of cities who are now, like Oakland just passed, it's not a straw ban because the plastic industries and the straw industries, like they'll come after you right away with litigation and then you're just, hung, you know, you're just, you're just completely overwhelmed by that and then it gets overturned. So they're not bans, but they're basically saying to restaurants that it's illegal to automatically by default give customers a straw. But you, um, so, so by default, don't give them a straw. And then if someone asks for one, you give it to them. So the straw industry can't say that you're banning the product because the product's still there if someone asks for it. So those are the kinds of things you can just replicate what another city is doing, work with your city council. Obviously, there's been a lot around the state of California um, trying to ban plastic bags, these single-use plastic bags, which are a big, huge, huge problem in landfills. Um, so there's a lot, again, you can do to scale what you do as an individual so that it gets passed as a policy. Um, and then you can also pressure manufacturers. And we are seeing a lot of manufacturers who are now and 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 restaurants and fast food places and grocery stores who are now on their own because it's also good for business um, passing their own policies that say I mean what what is it um it was Unilever who just said they're not using I mean I have to go look at the details of it but they are literally going to have like vegan ice cream in reusable tins. Wow. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's I saw that. awesome. It's massive. That's so So cool. don't think, so you as an individual, we can do a lot as an individual, but it's not enough. Yeah. We have to change policy and we have to change the design in the, in the first place to come back full circle to what we, we started with. Right. Cool. So we're going to start wrapping things up, but one thing that I would love to just kind of end on so that people can have just quick little things that they can take away is sort of like a rapid fire. Can you take us through just sort, just kind of mentally go through, walk through your home and just rapid fire, what are things mm-hmm. that you swapped mm-hmm. in your home uh, to be closer to zero waste? So having a stainless steel water bottle, carrying mm-hmm. that wherever you go. I also take a tea thermos with me wherever I go because I'm a tea drinker. My husband used to go to a cafe. And of course, even if you're there to sit at the cafe, they often give you a to-go cup. So he has his own cup that he goes to. It's a wonderful cup. Um, you can find coffee cups online and he goes to the cafe now. He gets his mm-hmm. coffee um, filled up there. Um, taking, uh, getting canvas bags, bring with them with you to the store, getting some jars and some sacks, some bags. I have them on my website as well, where you can go and fill up bulk bins and produce in these bags. Um, uh, in the kitchen also, trying to reduce your food waste as much as possible in the bathroom. I, um, I am now using a, uh, a toothpaste that comes in a glass jar. That's not wow. available everywhere, but I am giving this one a try. Um, uh, also I use plain products, which is a shampoo and conditioner. That's a brilliant model where you basically get the shampoo conditioner, there's body lotion, there's face lotion, there's face wash in uh, reusable stainless steel bottles, and you and and when you order them, you um you get 
you get a return label. So you put them back in the box that they came in with the return label. It's all part of the price and you send them back. So looking for ways uh, for shampoo and conditioner or people use shampoo bars and conditioner bars. And of course, using body bars, uh, you know, like soap bars, which we used to use instead of plastic Mm -hmm. uh, is another way you can do that in the bathroom. Um, yeah, the kitchen and the bathroom, I think, are the two biggest. But cleaning products also, uh, cleaning your home. So we have really, I mean, it, it's really like soap, vinegar, oil. We use oil for stainless steel uh, in our kitchen. So just rubbing a little bit of canola oil or whatever kind of oil you have on the stainless steel and then wiping it down with a, with a soft uh, towel, a soft rag, um, totally shines up the stainless steel. So you don't need any special products for that. So there are a gazillion resources online for swaps for all of these things and um, and treat it like a, a fun game. You know, Treat it like, do it for 30 days. I love your idea of doing the audit and, uh, and seeing where you're willing to. And then, I mean, when I think about the amount of coffee cups that David has saved, and he's not a huge coffee drinker, he's really not. Um, like, that's really exciting when you can quantify the difference. If, then if you had piled up all of the coffee cups you would have bought in a year with, what, with the same reusable cup that you can use for a year and more, like, that's kind of exciting to be able to picture that. Yeah, that is awesome. I kind of want to do like a, like a one month challenge and maybe invite people to do it. If, if we get that together before the, this episode goes live, we'll include that information in the show notes. Um, but this has been so awesome. I feel even more inspired to step up my game further. There's definitely definitely a long way for me to go. But um, thank you for setting such a beautiful example and providing so many resources for us all to turn to, Colleen. Yeah. And well, as we thanks. mentioned, we've both been so inspired by you. We will link all of the places to find your uh wonderful work. You have a website, a podcast, social media. So there's, there's lots of places to find Colleen's work, which we'll all link. And I would love to bring you on the show again sometime because you have so many things that you talk about, which are exactly what we want on this podcast. So uh, thanks again for coming. I love it. You too. Keep up the amazing work and thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Colleen. Bye-bye. Oh, that was awesome. I feel more inspired than ever. And I feel like equipped to start looking into more things that I already want to change in my daily habits. Yeah, I know that we both have put together some resources and we're going to include all of those in the show notes. I have a list of easy ways you can make swaps in the kitchen and Michelle has an overall eco-friendly guide. And again, we're going to put those at Plant Powered People. PlantPoweredPodcast.com. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that actually, Plant Powered People is our Patreon, yes. which you should also go check out. If that you want to support us. That is how we fund this podcast right now. We mostly pay out of our own pocket. Other than the like $5 a month we have from Patreon. Which we are so grateful for those yes. $5. So thank you very much to our patrons. <laughs> uh, so yeah, at patreon.com slash people. That's where you can find us and help support this podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, I actually watched a documentary recently. It, I meant to watch it a film about water, like water quality that Tony had recommended and accidentally impressed play on this other documentary that was about plastics. And in it, it was showing like fish from the ocean and birds from the sky. And basically scientists would open them up after they had passed. And in almost 100% of them, like plastic was flowing out of them, whether it was microplastics, just things that got in like full on chunks of plastics that they ate. It's just plastics have entered every part of our ecosystem, including the bodies of almost all the fish and birds. 
on our planet. And it, it broke my heart to see, and it just made me extra passionate to record this episode and hopefully help you guys, but also to be more conscious myself and my own actions and make sure that I'm living in a way that, um, that I want uh, to protect our planet. Yeah, that is extra, extra depressing, Michelle. But <laughs> I'm grateful to Colleen for coming on and explaining easy ways that we can make changes so that that doesn't happen anymore. Yes, it doesn't have to be hard. We don't have to be perfect, but small, simple steps that we can take. You can find those at the resources at plantpoweredpodcast.com. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.